0: This is Megan, and I'm Christy, and we are
1: Homebrew Murder Crew,
0: sans Brittany, because the bitch is in Mexico, the bitch is sitting on a beach, ah, drinking it up, lime margaritas, we're enjoying some cold, snowy weather. Yes. So we're coming at you with part two of the legacy of Carl Panzram. We're just going to jump right into it, because... Don't really have any other banter to talk about. So where we left last episode, uh, we were talking about, uh, execution rocks light and how Carl Panzerum has claimed to have, um, dumped some bodies around that area. And, um, <clears throat> he had been, uh, meeting up with sailors and, um, hiring them onto his boat. And this is when his first murders had occurred. So, um, he was murdering his sailors and um eventually uh, the people of City Island, where he was picking these sailors up, uh, they were starting to get suspicious of Carl. So he ended up hiring two sailors that he decided to keep alive and working. Uh, oh, that just, was nice. Yeah. for them. Yeah, Lucky just, for them. Just to keep up appearances. Um, so they headed down the coast, robbing more boats, but only got as far as Atlantic City, New Jersey, where the yacht was shipwrecked, and he lost all his stolen goods. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right? Yeah. Uh, so the three of them swam back to the shore, and they made it alive. Um, though Panzeram had planned on killing the two sailors before the wreck, but after he left City Island again because he was trying to keep up appearances, he ended up just paying them off and they went separate ways. So the heat is on Carl now. It's 1921 and Panzeram served six months in jail in Bridgeport, Connecticut for burglary and possession of a loaded handgun. Surprise, surprise. Oh How old is he now? Because he was like um, under 30, or he was around, yeah, he was under 30, like 29. He's 30 now, so it's 1921, and he's 30 years old. And he served six months in jail in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, again, for burglary, burglary and possession of a loaded handgun. When he was released, he joined a maritime union that was involved in a labor strike. Everybody's just striking all over the place here. And so Panzerham's all in there. Um, Hardliners in the union got into a brawl with the strikebreakers and Panzerham was quickly rearrested for being involved in a running gun battle with police. Oh, my goodness. And of course, he jumped bail and fled the state of Connecticut. So the heat is on, and he's realizing this is no place for me anymore. I'm getting the heck out of Dodge. And so he stowed away on a ship and landed in Angola, which is a Portuguese colony on the west coast of Africa. So bitch is going. He's taking this. Oh, my God. He's taking this across the seas now. Yeah, we've left America. We are now in Africa. Yeah, he's raped and pillaged all of America, and (sighs) he is now heading overseas. He's an awesome. African. Great. So awesome. eventually he gets a job with the Sinclair oil company as a foreman on an oil dr- drilling rig. So at that time, the American oil industry was involved in an exploratory expedition to search for sources of oil in Africa. Okay. That So the Sinclair oil company was American owned. So in the coastal town of Luanda, Panzram raped and killed an 11 year old boy. Oh God. Quote, a little expletive deleted, boy about 11 or 12 years old came bumming around." Now I say X would have deleted because He uses a term that I'm refusing to use on a podcast. Gotcha. So Panzerham lured the boy back to the Sinclair Oil Company grounds where he sexually assaulted and killed him by bashing his head in with a rock. Quote, his brains were coming out of his ears when I left him and he will never be any deader. End quote. Now this is a, he uses this term, like this sentence a lot in terms of describing like how he's killed somebody. He uses a lot. It's like, okay, we get it. They can never be deader right Ugh. we get it yeah or that he bashed and his brains were coming out of his ears he says that a lot too. oh god so after this murder panzerum went back to libido bay on the atlantic coast where he lived for several weeks in a fishing village the locals suspected him of the murder but it could never be proven several weeks later he hired six natives to take him into the jungle to hunt for crocodiles which brought a hefty price from european european speculators the need nat- the natives later demanded a cut of the profits so Panzeram didn't like that idea. So he had other not. plans. They paddled into the jungle, never suspecting what Panzeram had on his mind. As they went down river, Panzeram shot and killed all six men. He shot them all in the back one by one. While they lay in the bloody canoe, Panzeram shot each native again in the back of the head. Oh my God. And he then threw the bodies overboard and fed them to the crocodiles wow. and rowed back to Lobito Bay by himself. Yeah. So when he docked the boat, he realized he had to get out of the Congo since dozens of people saw him at Libido Bay when he hired these men. And now he's coming back without these men. So he heads up north of, um, sorry, he headed north up the Congo River toward a place called Point Banana. Which every time I read, I gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Point Banana, yeah. oh, and eventually God. made his way to the Gold Coast. He robbed farmers and local villages and got enough money to buy a fare to the Canary Islands. He's broke and he's not able to find anyone worth robbing here, so he immediately stows away on a ship uh, to Lips in Portugal. But when he arrived in the city, he discovered that the local government knew about his crime spree in Africa, and cops were warned to be on the lookout for him. Oh, so he's already stirring up shit over here, overseas. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. He managed to hide aboard uh, another ship headed for America, and by the summer of 1922, he was back on U.S. soil. So, like, he like he's just getting on these boats, like, will, like nobody... Yeah is like watching him get on these boats I don't know yeah he just throws away like in the cargo space or something of the ships like yeah I don't know I don't exactly know security back I know yeah for sure um there's also an incident with the Sinclair oil company that in their kitchen area one of the bus boys he had sexually assaulted him oh and um this this kid, like he kept him alive, but this kid ended up telling um, Pansaram's boss about it right. and he got fired, obviously, and they basically right. like so. ran him out of there. He's back on U.S. soil. Now, Pansaram has just been marveling about how easy it was to kill He's having a great time with this. So, yeah, he imagined himself actually making a living as a professional hitman who would murder for money. He brought he brought the gun that he used in the Congo killings back to the United States with him, even though the cops were hot on his tail as he fled Africa. And in 1922, he had the gun fitted with a silencer. But when he uh, test fired it later, he found out that the weapon still made a lot of noise, much to his disappointment. So he's like, damn it. Quote. If that had, he- if that heavy-calibered pistol and the silencer had only worked as I thought it would, I would have gone into the murder business on a wholesale scale. End quote. Like, I'm sorry, you aren't already like, like holy. But like, that was his goal. Like, if he could kill all humanity, he would have. Oh my god, right? he just loves killing people. Like yeah. he doesn't care who they are. Yeah, doesn't matter. Um, But his life of crime and mayhem caused Panjam to be continuously on the move, obviously. So he never lingered in one place for very long. He knew the police were forever on his tail, never far behind, and always ready to lock him up for some forgotten offense that he committed months, even years before. He learned early on to change his name frequently, as we mentioned, Mm -hmm. and never confided in anyone the details of his past life. As soon as he committed a crime panjab would leave that area quickly hop a train out of town stow away on a freighter hitch a ride on a passing truck whatever he's out he's always running always looking over his shoulder always living with the fear of capture this was his life but yet still knowing he could be minutes away from capture and driven by hatred most of us can never understand he killed he killed and he killed and he killed and he just got away with it. Like, it just blows my mind how he's just like all over the city, just like killing people, jumping trains, yeah. jumping boats, jumping this and that. Yeah, he's just crazy. What a rampant. And he's only 30. And he's, he's only 30. He's already I know. lived this yeah, crazy this wild is, oh life. Oh my gosh, it's so insane. So, um, we mentioned obviously like him using different names and stuff. So, I have a list of the names that he's used. There's 11 aliases in total. So, he's used. He, or he uses Carl Baldwin, Cooper John II, Harry Panzram, Jack Allen, Jeff Davis, Jeff Rhodes, Jefferson Baldwin, Jefferson Davis, Jefferson Rhodes. Really got hung up on the Jeff and Jeffersons yeah, for a bit Yeah, he sure there. did. John King and John O'Leary. O'Leary. John O'Leary. So, yeah. It's crazy mm-hmm. that he actually used his own last name for one of those. Yeah, that was like early on. Harry Panzram. Yeah so after a few days back in the states panzeram went to the u.s customs office in new york city where he renewed his captain's license and retrieved the papers for his yacht the akista which is the one that got wrecked on the jersey shores two years before his plan was to steal another boat and refit it under the akista name so it had to be something that looked similar so he began to search the local boatyards in the new york area and wandered up the connecticut coast he soon drifted into the seaport of Providence, Rhode Island, where he still couldn't find a boat that resembled the Akista. He continued north to, into Boston and eventually arrived in a, the town of Salem, Massachusetts. I can't say that. I'm sorry, you guys. I, Massachusetts? Matt, Mas- Massachusetts. Mas- Massachusetts. Well, no, I can't say it. Mass, Massachusetts. It's hard, okay? Life is hard wow. sometimes. Anyways, I digress. There on the afternoon of July 18th, 1922, he came across a 12-year-old boy walking alone on the west side of town. Uh Uh-oh. The boy's name was George Henry McMahon. He had spent most of the day in a neighbor's restaurant until the owner, Mrs. Margaret Lyons, asked George to run an errand. She says, at about 2.15, I sent him to the MP store for milk, giving him 15 cents. So this is what Mrs. Lyons had later told the court little George left the restaurant and walked up Boston street about an hour later, another neighbor, Mrs. Margaret Crean, saw George walking up the Avenue with a stranger. And she says, quote, in the afternoon of July 18th, while sitting in front of a window in my home, I saw a boy and a man walking up the Avenue. The man was dressed in a blue suit and wore a cap End quote, that man was Carl Panzeram. Oh. Panzeram says, quote, The boy's name I did not know. He told me he was 11 years old. He was carrying a basket or a pail in his hand. He told me he was going to the store to do an errand. He told me his aunt ran this store. I asked him if he would like to earn 50 50 cents. And he said yes. End quote. So he doesn't even remember the boy's name. Doesn't matter to him. I know it doesn't, but that's so gross. (laughs) It's sickening. Yeah. So Panzram walked with McMahon to the nearby store where inside he was even brazen enough to not only speak with the clerk, but to actually buy a magazine from the clerk as well. And a few minutes later, Panzram convinced the child to go for a trolley ride. About a mile from where they boarded the car, they exited the trolley in a deserted section of town. Quote, I grabbed him by the arm and told him I was going to kill him. I stayed with the boy about three hours. During that time, I committed sodomy on the boy <sighs> six times, and then I killed him by beating his brains out with a rock. I had stuffed down his throat several sheets of paper out of that magazine. End quote. Oh my God. Like, why? Why do you have to do that? That is just horrifying. Yeah. He just like, Ugh sickening he that's disgusting yep. like there's no ugh, he just it's, yeah it's overkill it's he's just complete psychopath yep yep complete like he there's is. no humanity in this man On an ounce no he then covered up the body with tree branches and hurried out of town quote i left him lying there with his brains coming out of his ears oh, my God. end quote but as he fled the wooded area where he left McMahon's body, two Salem residents passed by. They took notice of the strange man who was carrying what appeared to be a newspaper, was likely the magazine, yeah. walking quickly away. He seemed nervous and a little frantic, but the two witnesses cont- continued on their way. Immediately after the murder, Panzram headed back to New York. McMahon's body was found three days later on July 21st. The Salem police and the surrounding communities formed posses and detained any strangers they came upon. Several men, including a local pedophile who had attacked several Salem children, were arrested as suspects. The murder was headline news for weeks, but it would remain unsolved for many years. Mm-hmm. Until the day in 1928, when those same two witnesses would see Panzer again while he was in custody for another murder in Washington, D.C. What are the chances? Yeah. Yeah. Also, like I find it really like strange that he seemed nervous and frantic because he I know so easily. Yeah, I just expect him to just saunter out of there like la da, right. right? Yeah, it's yeah. Inter- it's weird yeah, that he had that emotion almost. Yeah. yeah. So after he left Salem, Pansram returned to the Westchester County area and continued to look for a suitable boat. In early 1923, he managed to rent an apartment in Yonkers, New York, using his alias John O'Leary. He got a job as a watchman at the Abiko Mill Company and claimed to have met a boy named George Whalison, Will- 15 years old, while he worked at the mill. He says... Quote, I started to teach him the fine art of sodomy, but found out that he'd been taught all about it and he liked it fine. End quote. Oh, fucking gross. Mm, I hate this man so much. During the early summer of 1923, Pandra made his way back to Providence, Rhode Island, where he stole a yacht out of one of many marinas around the bay. So he finally found one. By then, he was an accomplished sailor who had navigated the seas in dozens of countries in all sorts of weather conditions. He set sail for Long Island Sound, uh, an area that he knew well and where he felt comfortable. So he docked at New Haven for weeks at a time and would go out at night cruising the streets for victims, to rob, and to rape. And over the next few weeks, he burglarized homes and boats in Connecticut. He stole jewelry, cash, guns, clothes, anything. Off premium point in the city of New Rochelle, New York, he broke into a large yacht that was moored a distance offshore, and he stole a thirty eight caliber handgun from the galley, and when he checked the papers on board, he found out that the police commissioner of New Rochelle owned the boat. Oh, wow! Yeah. So, in June 1923, he sailed the yacht up the Hudson River to Yonkers, where he docked overnight. There, he picked George Wellison up and promised the boy that he could work on the yacht during his trip upriver. On Monday, June 25th, 1923, the boat cruised out of Yonkers dock due north toward Peekskill, and later that night, Panzeram sodomized the boy surprise surprise this is fucking depressing i'm sorry i guys. know this is and like just like what I, I can just we can't... skip to the good part is there a good part yeah when he fucking dies oh <laughs> my god oh. i just can't wrap my head around like this story just sounds so made up like, i know the, the the commissioner the police commissioner of yeah. new york like he tapped. Yeah. like this like it just sounds straight out of a movie. I know. Going from like, all over the states and then going overseas to, yeah. like, Africa. Like, it's wild. It's wild. So they sailed 50 miles upriver to Kingston, where Pandra moored the yacht in a small bay off the Hudson River. He quickly repainted the hull and changed the name on the stern. Then he ventured on the shore and visited the local hangouts to find a buyer for the boat. Soon, a young man agreed to come on board to check out the boat. Panzerram took the buyer out to the yacht on the night of June 27th. They had a few drinks together, but the man had other things on his mind. The buyer, the the buyer man had other things on his mind. So he tried to stick Panzeram up. Oh. But Carl was suspicious of him already. And so he was already, he was ready for him. He was already ready for him. So he shot the man twice in the head oh. using the shame gun that he had stolen from the police commissioner's boat. Whoa he then tied a metal weight onto the body and threw the man overboard the very next morning Panzram and his passenger george well while, while so in i'm really hope i'm saying his last name right i probably am not but my apologies he so george witnessed the killing okay they were sailing out of the bay and heading down river they docked that same day in poughkeepsie Penzram went to shore and stole a quantity of fishing nets worth more than a thousand dollars and they set sail again and cruised across the river to Newburgh. After the boat dropped anchor, George jumped ship and swam to shore. He's like, fuck this. He eventually made his way back to Yonkers and the next day he told the police about being sexually assaulted by Panzram. Oh, good for good you, little for George. You, George. Yeah, George. Glad you got away. So Yonkers police alerted all the Hudson River towns to be on the lookout for Captain John o'neary because that's the name he was using right. uh, who was sailing a 38 foot yacht down Cops still didn't know that the boat was stolen out of Providence yet. Panzram made it as far as the village Nyack and he secured the yacht at Peterson's boat yard bedded down for the night. But the cops were vigilant and on the morning of June 29th, 1923 they boarded the yacht and arrested Panjam. He was charged with sodomy, burglary, and robbery. The next day, Yonkers detectives John Fitzpatrick and Charles Ward motored upriver on a municipal ferry to pick him up. He was placed in the Yonkers City Jail awaiting a court appearance and on his arrest card, O'Leary listed his occupation as seafarer. He said he was born in Nevada and gave his age of 40. He's a fucking liar. Yeah, he's 32 right now. He probably fucking looks 40. He probably... I bet he's fucking rough. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he looks like he's 80. Yeah. On the night of July second, nineteen twenty three, he tried to break out of the city jail with another prisoner named Fred Fedorov. They attempted to pry the window bars of their frames off their frames by digging into the masonry using a part of bed. They were caught when the guards made a routine inspection of their cells and Carl was sent to solitary. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Carl turned to his lawyer for help like okay now you suddenly have a lawyer right yeah quote I got a lawyer there a Mr. Cashin I told him the boat was worth five or ten thousand dollars and that I would give him the boat and the papers if he got me out of jail end quote His attorney arranged for bail, and a few days later, Panzram was released. He never came back. When Cashin went to register the boat, it was discovered that it was stolen. The police immediately confiscated the yacht, and Cashin lost the posted bail. This. <laughs> Panzaram just... had conned his own lawyer. Oh, and he got out again. He knows no limits. But, like, do they not know about all we? They don't know he yet is. because he's using all these aliases, so they haven't connected the dots. Oh, man. Don't worry. We'll get there. Okay. In June 1923, in Larchmont, a quiet town on the south shore of Westchester County, he stole a boat from the Larchmont marina belonging to Dr. Charles Payne. Doctor Payne. Doctor, we love, we love a Doctor Payne. What a wonderful! <laughs> What's name in a name, of... Doctor Payne? If my last name was Payne, I would also want to be a doctor. My parents actually had a doctor named Doctor Payne. It was P A Y N E. Yeah, this one's P A I N E. But oh, still, Dr. Nice. Oh, Doctor Payne. Oh my God, pain. I love it. <laughs> the boat was found a short time later off the coast of New Rochelle. Panzram lost control and smashed the craft onto the rocks. On the night of August 26, 1923, Panzram broke into the Larchmont, Larchmont train depot. Using an axe he found outside, he... So there's just an axe outside. There's just, like, a- there's just... I think we've come a long way since 1920, the 1920s and, like, you know... People don't just leave axes lying around. <laughs> yeah. So... Using this ax he found outside, he shattered a large window and crawled inside. He found dozens of suitcases, which belonged to the passengers for the next day's train. And as he's rifling through the baggage, a large white cop officer, Richard Group, who was making his early morning rounds, happened to come by. He went around different windows and saw him kneeling in front of the stove in this depot with an open trunk in front of him. And so he covered him with a gun, but Panzram didn't hesitate. The Porchester Daily Item described what happened next. Quote, John O'Leary, a giant in in stature and was armed with a murderous looking axe. The officer immediately grappled with O'Leary and after a fierce struggle in the dark, disarmed him and placed him under arrest. End quote. Yes. Go Officer Groob. You badass. (laughs) Oh man. He took down an axe wielding psychopath. Yeah. So he was brought to the police station on Boston Road where he identified himself as John O'Leary. Okay. After he confessed to previous break ins, he was charged with three additional burglaries. In village court the next morning, Judge Schaefer set bail at 5000 and remanded Panram to county jail pending grand jury action. As he sat in the village jail, Panjam told the cops that he was an escaped prisoner from Oregon, where he was serving a 17-year sentence for shooting a police officer. Pandram said a lot of things. Maybe too many things. <laughs> That's a wild yeah. story. Like, why would you... May like because you didn't do that right but so cops called him a chiseler who's a man that admits to crimes he didn't commit so that he'll be moved somewhere else ah. so he didn't want to be uh, jailed where he was right. he if he's going to be jailed he preferred to go to Oregon Right. Basically, is what okay. he's trying Understood. to do. Yeah. So, Largemont Police sent telegrams of inquiry to Oregon. On August 29th, Largemont Police Chief William Hines received this reply from Warden Johnson Smith at the Oregon State Penitentiary. Quote, Jeff Baldwin is wanted very badly in Oregon and was a noted case that attracted considerable attention all over the Pacific coast. And we are very anxious to send an officer for him at the earliest possible moment. End quote. How, but I thought that wasn't the alias he was using. So how'd they figure it out? Pan, okay. Pandram was also known as Jeff Baldwin, yes. right? Yes, you're yes, correct. Yes, yes, he was. In Oregon. So he's Jeff Baldwin in Oregon. And he still had more than 14 years left of his sentence because he escaped, right? Right, right, right. There's even a $500 reward for his capture, oh, okay. which Pandram tried to collect for his own arrest. Carl told the police there that since he volunteered all the information to as to his escape from prison, that he wished to claim the 500 for himself. Oh, okay. So he outed himself. He did. Okay, so yeah. he told them that. He, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Because yeah, gotcha. he wanted the. Oh, we're fucking. Oh my 500. god. <laughs> I want the five hundred dollars because. Like, yeah. I captured myself. Like oh my oh, god. Well. Five hundred dollars is probably a lot back then, though, considering it cost fifteen cents for. Some yeah. Help. Exactly. Right. So Panzer realized that his future prospects were limited at this point. Oh, okay. He knew that Oregon wanted him bad- badly, and he either had to escape or face decades in prison a few weeks later he was indicted by the grand jury for the large want burglary he knew that he could be convicted so he immediately sought to make a bargain with the prosecution he got a deal with the da's office in which he would receive a lighter sentence in exchange for a plea of guilty does this sound familiar yeah yeah once again <laughs> carl enters a guilty panic plea in exchange for a lesser sentence but was duped and was given a full <laughs> sentence of five years Oh, he, years. Yeah. he was sent to Sing Sing in New York, but he didn't stay long. No. So men like Panzeram, who are pardoned criminals and they're difficult to control, um, they were routinely sent upstate to Clinton prison, okay. uh, where they were out of the mainstream prison population. And they were at the mercy of an unusual group of guards who had grown accustomed to hostile inmates. So oh. special circumstances kind of prison prison that sounds like a bad idea so panzer was taken to upstate new york's clinton prison which is better known as uh in october 1923 so like in many other prisons of its time the guards carried steel-tipped canes that were used to poke and prod and sometimes beat the shit out of convicts so life was brutally hard for the inmates uh who worked under abusive guards really doesn't sound much different than any other prison he's been in but no uh in their view inmates were animals who deserved the harshest treatment and many of the prisoners suffered mental breakdowns those who did were simply carted across the yard the courtyard sorry and dumped into the state hospital for the criminally insane oh, so they wow. didn't do shit all for them they're literally making these people crazy i know right they're not like it's just these prisons are just a dumping ground and Panzer and unbehaved as he usually did in prison <laughs> he made his first attempt to escape within a few months He climbed one of the prison walls and immediately fell 30 feet below onto a concrete step. Every time I read this, my ankles just hurt. Oh, no. (laughs) He broke both legs and ankles. His spine was also badly injured. Oh, Lord. He received no medical attention for his injuries. He was carried into a cell and dropped on the floor. His broken bones were not set. There was never a cast placed. Like, could my he legs ever hurt? walk again like <laughs> oh! Man. after 14 months of intense pain he was taken to the hospital where he was operated on for a ruptured testicle even with one <laughs> testicle removed oh my Pandram still had a lot of balls to continue on in his horrific ways <laughs> <laughs> shortly after the operation Carl was caught raping another inmate oh. He was thrown into solitary confinement where he was virtually ignored by prison staff. So he began to make elaborate plans on how to kill as many people as he could. Like, I feel like he's already been planning this, but he's coming unhinged now. This is the point where he's coming unhinged. Oh my lord. I'm not surprised. So he wanted to blow up a railroad tunnel while a train was passing through and send poison gas into the wreck. He wanted to dynamite a bridge in New York and then rob the dead and injured as they lay on the ground dying. Oh my gosh. He wanted the Panama Canal to suffer the same fate um, if, if Panzram had his way. So, but his most elaborate plan and the one he was sure would kill the most people was his plot to poison the water supply and kill everyone in the village of Den- Denimura. So he wanted to basically just drop a large quantity of arsenic into the stream that fed into the reservoir. He's got, he's got big, big dreams. Plans. <laughs> big plans Carl. So in July 1928, after serving five long hard years in Denamora, Panzer was discharged. He was permanently crippled by lack of medical attention. He sent out once again into this an unsuspecting world. He's got a permanent fucking lamp and he's just got one ball now like yeah, oh, one oh, testicle geez, one testy oh my god after his release panzeram was consumed by revenge and rage for the way that he is treated in Denamora. so within two weeks he committed a dozen burglaries and killed at least one man during a robbery in baltimore and by the time he was arrested and delivered to washington dc jail pandram was a fearsome sight (laughs) i can only imagine yeah right he i can't i wonder if there's a picture there's lots of pictures of him but not of like (laughs) him looking raw i want to see like a a head-to-toe He kind of looks like an ex-boyfriend of mine. (laughs) And, like, okay, I'm going to... Oh, God. Unpopular opinion. Like, there's a few pictures that look really different of him. Like, when he's got facial hair, when he doesn't. Sometimes he looks more slender. Sometimes... But, like, in some pictures, like... He's not, I don't even think he's so bad looking. I know. Like (laughs) like this one? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, he looks kind of handsome. Y'all know we're going to be posting pictures, don't you worry. But no, not here. No. Not here. That's like fucking scary. So during his first few days in the DC jail, he made several remarks about killing children, which were noticed by guards. Inquiries were made into other states and word came back from several jurisdictions that he was a hunted man at the Washington DC jail. At this time was 26 year old rookie guard who was hired that year. His name was Henry Lester. As Pansram was processed through the booking procedure, Lester asked him what his crime was quote, what I do is reform people end quote. And what he means by reform is murder because his, (laughs) His idea was the only way to reform people was to kill him. So over the next few weeks, the young guard took notice of the odd-looking man who rarely talked to anyone. Pandram attempted to escape by slowly chipping away once again at the concrete surrounding the metal bars in his cell window. But one of the other prisoners informed the warden. Pandram was removed from his cell and he was brought uh, to an isolated area. He was handcuffed around a thick wooden pole and a rope was tied to his handcuffs. The guards then hoisted him up oh. so that just his toes were touching the ground and his arms were lifted beyond his shoulders. He was left this way for a day and a half. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So they called this the snorting pole. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. I'm not sure how it gets its name, but it was called the snorting pole. and okay. Yeah. The guards would beat him until he's unconscious, left them tied up to the post all night, beaten, bloodied. At some time during the night, Panzram admitted to, uh, to the murders of several young boys and told the guards how much he enjoyed it. Oh. Ugh. Soon, the word got out and the press caught on to the story of a sadistic killer in the local jail who was confessing to a lot of murders. The Washington Post reported on October 28, 1928, the Pandram con- confessed to the murder of 14-year-old Alexander Lussock a Philadelphia newsboy last August, and also that of 12-year-old Henry McMahon of New Salem, Connecticut. Each day that went by, Panzram told more and more. Again, he's coming unhinged. He's just letting it out now. So for some reason, prison guard Henry Lester took pity on him, and like everyone else hated him, obviously, but he befriended Panzram by giving him a dollar to buy cigarettes and extra food. This obviously, like, really puzzled Carl but it meant a lot to him of course he's he's unaccustomed to even the smallest gesture of compassion so the two of the men actually became friends and confided in one another soon Panzram agreed to write his life story for Lesser and so over the next few weeks while Lesser supplied pencil and paper Panzram wrote down the details of his twisted life of hate depravity and murder I can't really like blame him for wanting Carl to do that yeah I can only imagine what it would be like to sit and listen to him talk about his experiences in life. I mean, yeah. here we are on a podcast, like right. talking about it. Exactly. Imagine hearing it from his yeah. own mouth, like wild, just wild. Wild. Terrible, yeah. terrible, terrible, terrible things that he did, but you can't help but just be like fascinated. By yeah, it. for sure. Like, and it's, it's, um we get into a little psychology part here too, but like very little just about a psychologist there, but like, it is the psychology of it. Like what makes you, why are you like this? Like, it's just so beyond comprehension. And this autobiography that he's writing comes to be known as the Panzer and papers, which we'll link in the show notes as well. Um, and Henry Lester, there's actually, um, A video on youtube where henry lester is interviewed about it about his time with carl wow yeah so we'll also link that in the show notes too it's like a really old and grainy video like from the 70s but um it's definitely interesting renowned psychologist dr carl menninger later said the manuscript quote proceeds to an unflinching self-analysis in which the prisoner spares neither himself nor society. No one can read this manuscript in its entirety without an emotional thrill. End quote. Beginning on the farm in r- rural Minnesota, where he was born, Panzram told the brutal story of his life, from the time he was sent to Minnesota State Training School at Red Wing in 1903 until the time that he arrived in Washington D.C. jail. There were thousands of crimes, dozens of murders, and a life spent in single-minded pursuit of dis- destruction. I'm gonna have to read it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to read it. "Quote: All my associates, all of my surroundings, the atmosphere." of deceit, treachery, brutality, degeneracy, hypocrisy, and everything that is bad and nothing that is good. Why am I what I am? I'll tell you why. I did not make myself what I am. Others had the making of me." End quote. That's Carl Ford. Yeah, blame everybody else. So in this confession pandram gave details of his murders which were later confirmed with local authorities who he supplied dates times and the places where the crimes occurred as well as the rest of his or his arrest history like including a list of like all the places he was jailed and what times wow. of course during the period of 1900 to 1930 communications between law enforcement agencies weren't as sophisticated as they are now um criminals were frequently able to avoid arrest warrants just simply by changing their names as he's seen carl do um he learned this trick early in his career and then was re- arrested under several names, um, which we went over before. But it's not only his life that he wrote about. He had some opinions on the criminal justice system and the power of society over the individual. So here's another quote from him. "Quote." All of your police, judges, lawyers, wardens, doctors, national crime commissions, and writers have combined to find out and remedy the cause and effect of crime. With all this knowledge and power at their command, they have accomplished nothing except to make conditions worse instead of better. I am 36 years old and have been a criminal all my life. I have 11 felony convictions against me. I have served 20 years of my life in jails, reform schools, and prisons. I know why I am a criminal." So he's basically just laying the blame of his violent life on those that tortured and punished him, which yes, but also don't do those things to people. (laughs) You know, there's people who have gone through similar, worse, lesser, and they, they don't do these things, but you know, well, there is that brain injury that we mentioned exactly. in part 1 where his dad was doing an at-home ear surgery yeah. on him. and Like, basically a fucking lobotomy. Yeah. Oh, yeah like... Pretty much. Yeah. Might makes right was the only rule that he ever learned. Yeah. And he carried that belief with him wherever he went. And, yeah. <sighs> it's a tough, tough upbringing. That's for sure. Yeah. So, like he just goes on and on in these papers just about like his life of crime Mm -hmm. um, which spanned several continents um for none of which he was ever sorry he never had feelings of guilt or remorse and he saw crime and violence as a way of getting back at the world and it didn't matter that the people that he victimized hadn't done anything to him or caused his own pain it's just that someone and anyone had to pay So he could never acclimate to a prison environment. Despite his many years in jail across the country, he wasn't able to conform to institutional rules or a base staff. Even with the knowledge that physical torture would frequently be the result of these infractions, he was uncooperative and violent. And after his escape attempt and subsequent handcuffing to a post, he assaulted three guards when he was removed from his cell, upon which it was necessary to strike him with a blackjack in defense of the three officers. Wow. Again, he's handcuffed to the post, and as a result, um, the reporting officer wrote, quote, This prisoner called the captain of the watch a goddamn son of a bitch and stated that he would like to knock a- the captain on the back of the head. End quote. More punishment follows, but so massive wheels of justice were turning. Oh, boy. <laughs> So, later that same month, on October 29th, an, an arrest warrant for Panzram arrived at the D.C. jail. Uh, it was a murder indictment from Philadelphia, charging Panzram with homicide on Alexander Usak okay. by strangling and choking on July 26, 1928 at Point House Road. Salem Police Department in the state of Massachusetts... Pff, <laughs> Also learned about Panzram's arrest and his extensive confession. During his stay at the Washington DC DC jail, Salem police brought the two witnesses from the George Henry McMahon killing in 1922 to look at Panzram. Both witnesses positively identified him as the person they saw on the night that George Henry McMahon was killed. Oregon State Penitentiary contacted Washington police and asked that he be held as an escapee who still owed 14 years on his original sentence in that prison. Wow. Yeah. So, it, by early 1929, he's Panzeram's finally realizing that he's never going to get out of jail now. <laughs> he wrote a letter to District Attorney Clark in Salem about the McMahon killing. In the letter, he repeated his omissions regarding the murder. Quote, I made a full confession of this murder of McMahon. You sent a number of witnesses from Salem to identify me, which they done. I do not change my former confession anyway. I committed that murder. I alone am guilty. I not only committed that murder, but 21 besides, and I assure you here and now that if I ever get free and have the opportunity, I shall sure knock off another 22. End quote. At least he's upfront and honest. Like... (laughs) He has been, for the most part, I mean, other than his, like, he's, the thing is, is like, he's proud of his killings, but like, he'll lie, cheat, and steal to get what he wants, right? Right. Yeah. His trial for the burglary and housebreaking charges opened on November 12th, 1928. Panzerham foolishly acted as his own attorney. Of course he fucking did. Of and frequently terrified the jury with his unpredictable combative behavior. Oh, wow. Yeah. You don't say. Right? And are we surprised? Fuck, no. To be, oh my God, to be a fly on the wall. To be a fucking jury member. Yeah, oh right? Oh my God, of that. Holy... At the end of the trial, Panzerum took the stand and not only admitted to the burglary, but told the court that he intentionally remained in the house for several hours, hoping the owners would come home so he could kill them. Wow. On November 12, 1928, he was found guilty on all counts. Judge Walter McCoy sentenced him to 15 years on the first count and 10 years on the second to run consecutively. Panseram would have to serve 25 years back at the federal prison in Leavenworth, Kansas. So he's headed back to Leavenworth. Of course he is. When he heard the sentence, Pandram's face broke into a wide, evil grin. Oh, no. He told the judge to visit him. He says, visit me to the judge. Oh, what wow. The fuck? What a creep. He, that one ball he's got. I know. Like, <laughs> it's a hefty ball. It's a hefty ball. Yes. So on the day that he arrived at Leavenworth, uh, which is February 1st, 1929, Panzeram was brought in to see the warden T. B. White. Bound, the warden read him the rules of the institution. Panzeram stood in front of the desk with an attitude of indifference. You know, he's not going to fucking listen. Yeah. When the warden finished, Carl um, looked at him and he said, "Quote: I'll kill the first man that bothers me." End quote. <laughs> the warden called the guards and had him removed to his cell immediately. Oh lord. <laughs> So Panzer was considered too psychotic to mix with the general prison population. Yes, yeah, <laughs> oh, thanks. So he was assigned <laughs> to the laundry room where he could work all day alone, okay. sorting and washing clothes. Uh, there he would have little contact with humans. He could just be by him lonely self. His supervisor was Robert Warnke. He was um, notorious for writing up prisoners' uh, minor infractions. Like he really just he didn't have time for for prisoners that didn't abide by the rules. Right. Um, he's certainly not opposed to any kind of punishment, including solitary confinement, um, revoking concession and library privileges, and sometimes even torture. So Warnke um, his supervisory position to wield power. So he was mm. kind of on a power high. From the beginning, Panzeram had trouble with Warnke. On several occasions, Panzram was written up for infractions, which caused him to be sent uh, to solitary confinement. And when he was last released from the hole, Panzram told the other prisoners to stay away from Warnke because he was going to die soon. On June 20th, 1929, Panzram's working in the laundry, as usual detail, and uh, leaning against the door was a four-foot-long iron bar used oh. to support the wooden transport crates. Uh, he picked up the heavy bar, approached Warnke, he, who was preparing paperwork and he raised the bar over his shoulders and brought it down squarely on Warnky's head. Warnky's skull broke instantly. Wow. So as Warnky fell to the ground, Pandrum smashed the bar continuously into his head, just sending blood and bone matter all over the room. That's... There are other inmates in the laundry that day too. And they stood back and watched in horror. And then the men tried to escape, but Panzram decided that since he killed one man, he should kill the others as well. He attacked one of the inmates in the corner of the room and managed to break the man's arm before he could run away. And the other inmates tried desperately to get out of the room, but the doors were locked. And began to scream for help as Panzram chased them around the room. And he's smashing everything, swinging this huge iron bar into desk lights, breaking up the furniture into pieces. He's just fucking unhinged that sounds like i can't even like imagine like the other (laughs) prisoners are terrified i know like it's just mayhem like it's complete chaos so uh an alarm sounded in the prison and dozens of guards guards armed with um submachine guns and high-powered rifles come running into the laundry room the guards look through the bars into the room and Saw Panzeram holding a twenty-pound steel bar like a baseball bat. His clothes are shredded and covered head to toe with fresh blood. Mm. Yeah, another one onto his. Another convictions, right? Yeah, another notch in his bedpost, right? So by the time his trial began, panjarm was well-known in law enforcement circles, obviously. Rumors of his lust for raping and killing children were widespread. His story had already appeared in a dozen of newspapers, including the Topeka Times, Boston Globe, and the Philadelphia Inquirer. On April 16, 1930, a Chicago Evening American reported, quote, despite the fact that he boasted of killing 23 people, persons, that he would like to kill thousands and then commit suicide. Panzram is sane to the extent that he knows right from wrong. Mm-hmm. End quote. Authorities in Salem, Philadelphia, and New Haven were actively preparing criminal cases against Pandram while he remained in solitary in Leavenworth. Throughout this period, Pandram kept up his correspondence with Lesser and wrote a series of letters about his life in Leavenworth. He often complained about the lack of reading material, but he praised the quality of food great <laughs> oh at least the food good. was good yeah he said that being in prison made him feel more human and less like an animal that he thought he was which is weird that is he's prison yeah when he arrived at leavenworth he figured he would be beaten and abused anyway so he decided that he wouldn't be beaten for nothing so he immediately tried to escape and was caught obviously right um he obviously was quick to become hostile and uncooperative with the guards. However, this time, sorry, blah. However, this time there were no beatings. So no one lays a hand on him, no one abuses him. So he's trying to figure this out, and he's come to the conclusion that if in the beginning he had been treated as he is being treated now in Leavenworth, then there wouldn't have been quite so many people that would have been robbed, raped, and killed. Okay. So, again, he's just taking no accountability for anything. right? It's all on everybody else. So, trial began on April 14th, 1930 for Warren Key's murder. He's asked by Judge Hopkins if he has an attorney. And Carl says, quote, no, and I don't want one, end quote. Hopkins went on to advise the defendant that he had a constitutional right to representation and he should use the services of an attorney who would be appointed to him for free. But Panzram replied just by cursing the judge loudly. Yeah. And when asked for a plea, he stood up and sneered at the court and he says, quote, I plead not guilty. Now you go ahead and prove me guilty. Understand? End quote. So a prosecutor calls a parade of witnesses appearing were uh, warden TB white, okay. who also brought the murder weapon to court five Leavenworth guards, and 10 prisoners. Several prisoners testified that they saw him smash the skull of Warnke with an iron bar repeatedly, while Warnke lay unconscious on the prison floor. And throughout the testimony, Panzram sat in his chair smiling at the witnesses. I can't, like, it's cra- Could you imagine, like, like have I picture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, having to witness that, and then you have to sit up on the stand... And tell the story of how you saw him do that so that he'll be convicted and remain in the prison with you. Like I would have lied, I'd be like, nope, it's not nothing. Yeah. He's he's innocent. Right. Like I wouldn't want to be locked in a room with him again. Terrifying. Yeah. So the jury took just forty-five minutes to arrive at a verdict. That's a long time considering all the right. evidence yeah. they probably had. And to the surprise of Noah one, Pandram was found guilty of murder with no recommendation for mercy. Good. Um, so Hopkins remanded him back to Leavenworth mm. until, quote, the fifth day of September, 1930, when between the hours of six to nine o'clock in the morning, you shall be taken to some suitable place within the confines of the penitentiary and hanged by the neck until dead, end quote. All right. So Pandram seemed relieved and almost happy. A huge grin came across his face and he slowly roll, rises up from his chair and he says, quote, I certainly want to thank you, judge. Just let me get my fingers around your neck for, six, for 60 seconds and you'll never sit on another bench as judge, end quote. Oh, what? <laughs> like, he's like, fuck it. I'm already sentenced to death. Like, I'm going to fuck shit up yeah. for every last breath that I breathe, basically. Oh my goodness i'm interested to hear what his final words are if we have those yeah we'll see okay assuming he doesn't escape again right so during the 1920s there's a family of um, enlightened educators and intellectuals that's led by dr carl menninger who's a harvard graduate and he's actually one of the pioneers of modern psychology so he wanted to talk to Panzram and just kind of pick his brain Panzram didn't want any of that. He had no interest in talking to him and he just absolutely refused. Um, But Menager had blamed Panzram's adult hostility on the treatment he received as a child in the Minnesota State Reform School at Red Wing. He recognized the psychological damage that had been done to Panzram at an early age. For Panzram, the death sentence was a relief And he resisted all attempts to have a stay of execution. He said, quote, I look forward to a seat in the electric chair or a dance at the end of a rope, just like some folks do for their wedding night. End quote. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, how fucking dark (laughs) is that? Oh, my God. (sighs) Even during the 1930s, there were several national organizations who strenuously objected to the death penalty. And one of these groups called the Society for the Abolishment of Capital Punishment petitioned the governor's office for a pardon or a commutation of sentence, which infuriated Panzeram. So on May 23rd, he wrote that society and he said, quote, the only things you and your kind will ever get from me for your efforts on my behalf is that I wish you all had one neck and that I could have my hands on it. I have no desire whatever to to reform myself. My only desire is to reform people who try to reform me. And I believe that the only way to reform people is to kill them. End quote. He says that a lot. Yeah. He's smart. He's well, smart. at least, you know, he's very like, like determined in his beliefs. Yeah. So, on a cold morning on Friday, September 5th, 1930, Panzeram was taken from his cell for the last time at 5.55 a.m., and he's escorted to the gallows. T-G-I-F. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, he's, you know, his demeanor's rebellious, as always. He's cursing the whole way there. He's cursing his mother, the damned human, the whole damned human race. Um, before they completed their task, like the, the U.S. Marshals who walked him up, they're like, they're putting the black hood over his head and everything Panzer spit in the executioner's face and said quote hurry up you bastard i could kill 10 men while you're fooling around end quote and those were his last words (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm not disappointed yeah that was yep that sounds about right sounds very carl like yeah Panzer ramming. Pens are ramming around all the way to the end of that yep, rope. Absolutely. So after the hood was secured and the marshal stepped back without delay, at exactly six o three a.m. the trapdoor sprung open with a crash. Panzer dropped five and a half feet down, and his large body with one testicle jerked repeatedly <laughs> and swung from side to side in silence. Oh. And he was pronounced dead at six eighteen a.m. <sighs> he was removed from the gallows and they performed an autopsy at the prison hospital and his body remained unclaimed um and later that same day he was carted over to the prison cemetery in a wheelbarrow in style right (laughs) the only identification on his tombstone is the number three one six one four which is his prison number wow prison inmate number yeah also fun fact I love fun facts. Pandra was imprisoned with their birdman of Alcatraz, Robert Stroud. And Mm. they often had conversations together. Of course they did. Isn't that wild? That is wild. Wild. I'm going to finish with one last quote from Carl. Okay, perfect. Quote, I hate all the fucking human race. I get a kick out of murdering people. End quote. And that, my friends, is (laughs) Carl. The story of Carl Panzeram. Wow. That, I don't even know where to begin (laughs) with that one. Like, that was just wild. So, and it's like, you think of, so you look at him as a serial killer and you look at more, like, Air quotes modern day serial killers, but yeah. like like Dahmer, Bundy, Panzerm wasn't a sexual sadist or lust murderer in like the classical sense. No, he simply just like, his only motivation factors were just that he hated everybody. Like yeah. he just felt like anybody had to pay for what was done to him an early age and in his life. Did he only kill men and boys? Yeah. Yeah, so, oh, wow. Yeah, he didn't want- It was want a good money. time to be a woman, right? And, like, <laughs> which is weird because considering, uh, like, the contempt he had for his mother. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that he didn't kill women. It is strange. Like, when you look at the psychology of it, when somebody blames, like, for example, when a child blames their mother so much mm-hmm. for the killer that they become, they usually kill people that remind them mm-hmm. of that their parent. Exactly. But like that's just like it's kinda like uh the night stalker. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't have like, there's just no way like he's just so different from any other yeah. serial killer. Like you can't just lump him into the same category as like right. Dahmer and yeah. um any of those other guys. Yeah. Bundy, Kemper, like Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah, he's it's so Unique, yeah. And I mean, I don't want to give him credit for that. No, I'm not giving him credit no. for that. And I'm also, I also wanted to say, and I forgot to say that I'm not bashing anybody who has one testicle. Those, no. those jokes are oh, no. are strictly, for, strictly Carl. for Carl. That's it. That is all. They should snip the other one too. Yeah. But, you know. I mean, oh he now he only ever had sex with the one woman, so at least we don't want yeah. to worry about him procreating. Exactly. Right? I think the, the and oh, wine is done. Which is God. great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Oh, no. Poor guy. Well, you guys, thank you so much if you made it this far through this episode. The two parter episode. Yeah. Oh, my God. You like enjoyed it. Sorry to drop that bomb on you, but yeah. um, It was definitely fun to dive into a big yeah. case like that. And, um, I'm going to have to do like something a little on the lighter side for my next (laughs) episode, Yeah. Uh, (laughs) But um, I can't promise you guys that mine's going to be enjoyable. (laughs) I mean, none of them really are, but. No. Yeah, this one was was extra, extra spicy. But we're going to need a palate cleanser. Yes. You guys can find us on our socials as always. We are on tiktok at homebrew murder crew we're on instagram as at homebrew murder crew we are on facebook at homebrew murder crew and you can also reach us at email um, please email us, send us anything, send please. us, like send us, let us know what you thought of the episode or yeah. you can give us suggestions if you want, like send us know. pictures of your dogs and cats, Yeah. send us pictures of your animals. Yeah. Um, our email address is homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. Don't send us a virus though. No, that wouldn't be very Or nice. dick pics. Or dick pics. We don't no. want those. No, we don't want those. One testicles. <laughs> thanks guys Bye. bye